Jesus is on the sea with the disciples. And uh, there's a storm that has come up. In verse 38, but he, Jesus, was asleep in the stern on a cushion. They woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Verse 5, chapter 5, rather. Then they came to the other side of the country of the Gazarenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd been bound with chains and shackles. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Heavenly Father, as we look at these passages of Scripture today, apply them to our heart and our life as only you can. Those here with us today that are really struggling with a lot of issues, sense of loss, grief, anxiety, illness, financial pressure, relationships that are not where they need to be, Father, meet each of us today at the point of our really greatest need. And for our church family members who aren't with us, those who are traveling, have to work, or sick, Bring them back to us in gathered worship again, and may they even at this moment be aware of how much we love them and obviously, Lord, how much you care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me me just run through something real quick with Mark, and then we're going to dive a little deeper into one of these stories. Uh, Mark is the earliest gospel written, probably, uh, really from Peter's perspective. Mark heard this from Peter as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Mark is a young man, and he's writing with a lot of energy, and he moves from story to story, and he moves quickly, and he gives some really neat insight and detail and sort of places you there in that story. In a very few words, he's able to really put you in there. And if you'll take a second, if you've got your Bibles, you'll look at, and and again, Mark didn't put the chapter and verses in here. Those came later. Um, But as as he was writing this, this, this gospel story of Jesus, you'll notice in chapter verse 35, Jesus calms the storm. And so the, the disciples are amazed that, that the, the, the wind, the waves, uh, nature, uh, you know, we've all experienced storms lately, right? I mean, you did a week ago or whatever, and then a couple of nights ago on Tuesday night, we had one just about two miles from my house over there in Bonner Springs, and we all see the power of storms. And so here the disciples are, are, are truly fearful of, of Jesus when he's able to calm the storm like that. And then as we'll see in a few moments, he's able to cast out demons. And then we see even greater later, we won't have time today, but in chapter 5, verse 21, he does a couple of other things. He heals this woman who has the issue of blood, who's got this hemorrhage. She's had it for years. He heals her. And then beyond that, Jairus' daughter, this little girl who's dead, he raises her from the dead. So here, Mark moves from calming the storm to casting out a demon to healing disease to raising the dead. So you're like, wow. And the disciples obviously were like, wow, is there anything 
that Jesus can't do. And then if you want to look later on your own this week at chapter 6 of Mark's gospel, he goes back to his home in Nazareth, and there the people do not believe him. They want nothing really to do with him. Uh, What do you mean you're the son of God? You were raised here. Here's your brothers. Here's your sisters. And they took offense at his message, and he did no real miracles there. Unbelief, refusal to accept who he is, can quench the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that he can defeat nature. He can defeat Satan. He can defeat disease. He can defeat death. But when he encounters those who do not believe and who reject him, he walks away. And so it's really important for us as we look at that to realize as we are a church, nothing can stop us except if we decide we're just not going to follow him. We're just not going to listen to him. We're going to do it our own way as those people did in Nazareth. And he turned and left them. He could have done anything he wanted. They didn't bind him. You understand that. But he chose not to do anything there because of their unbelief. And so when you look at that whole passage and you see that, it must have been amazing for the disciples to see him do all of those things. Then he goes to his hometown. Those people do not believe in him. They don't want him there. And he walks away. And I believe there are many churches today that really don't want what Jesus wants. (laughs) They want what they want. They don't want the Jesus that's there. They want a Jesus of their own making. And he will walk away. And that's why so many churches die. But let's go back to chapter 5, and you know this story of the Gadarene demoniac. There he is among the tombs. Now, the disciples, obviously, they don't want to go to this side of the lake anyway. It's a, it's a, the city of the Decapolis are primarily pagan and Greek. They're not Jewish, and Jesus doesn't draw big crowds there. And when they cross the Sea of Galilee, first thing that happens is this terribly terribly, terribly disturbed man with a demon is just, he's just, he comes to them. And, and the, again, Mark in his ability to describe things in such a brief and yet colorful way gives this amazing picture of the, the true depth of this man's problem that they've tried to, they've tried to use their own ability the best they can to, to tie him down or to chain him up so he won't hurt himself, he won't hurt others. But no matter how they tried to restrain him, he broke the restraints. And he's constantly inflicting pain on himself. He's inflicting fear and anxiety on the rest of the community. He is an absolute picture of one who is completely out of control. And that's who comes to meet Jesus. I mean, the disciples are thinking, we had a big crowd over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm not sure why we had to go through all of this storm, all of this difficulty to land here where we don't really want to be in these these foreign cities of the Decapolis to, to encounter this mess of a man right here. And that's what it was. But verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down to him. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, he said, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, one of the themes that runs through the entire book of Mark is a pretty simple theme and a pretty obvious theme. You'll see it over and over again. Those who should have known who Jesus was, like the people in Nazareth, (laughs) seldom do and often reject him. 
Those who you would think would have no idea who Jesus is, I don't know, like tax collectors and prostitutes and demons, immediately know who he is and understand his power. There's a, there's a really important message in that, and, and it comes very clear here when these demons immediately recognize who Jesus is. And we could spend all day there. Just knowing that Jesus is the Son of God isn't enough to save you. The demons know and they tremble. Have you put your faith and your trust in him? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? So here's this encounter, a really unusual encounter. They're actually asking something of Jesus. They beg him in verse 10, don't send us out of the country. And again, I think you've heard me say before, perhaps here, that it's an interesting little remark. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, I think wherever Satan finds dominion, he doesn't want to leave. And he had some dominion there. He didn't want to leave that country. And I think at times it's really hard for us to fully understand that if you give Satan a place in your heart, a place in your family, a place in your church, it's a very real thing that he sort of makes his home there and doesn't want to leave there. And indeed, Satan is telling Jesus, don't send us out of this country. And so Jesus does a really sort of unusual thing. They said, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. I mean, there's this amazing encounter between this group of demons and Jesus. It's not like they don't know each other. You want to get really deep into this, you got to go all the way back to heaven. <laughs> you got to go all the way back to Lucifer. You got to go all the way back that he started a rebellion, really, in a cosmic rebellion in heaven and took a third of the angels with him. And that's who these demons are. And this is God in the form of Jesus there speaking to them. I mean, this is, and you got these, you got these Hebrew disciples who just went through a storm. You got some people from the Decapolis totally unaware. And we're watching this amazing thing unfold between these demons and God right here. What do you think spiritual warfare is? You know, I think it was Andy Davis, the pastor at First Baptist Durham. Jill and I were there a year ago on Sunday morning, and he said this. He said, you know, there aren't mass units in heaven. It's not like angels are fighting each other. <laughs> not, like, not like wings are flying all over the place. When you talk about spiritual warfare, the warfare takes place here on earth, and we are the focus of it. Satan is trying to get us to rob God of his glory, to be disobedient so that God's glory is hurt. God is trying to get us to follow him so that we find joy and meaning and purpose in glorifying him. You and I are pawns, and we are the object of the spiritual warfare. Don't ever forget that. And that's why you have to be armored up with the full armor of God and realize all that's going on. But nonetheless, here you've got, you've got these demons and you've got Jesus conversing with each other. I mean, the demons know that they don't stand a chance, so they're not, they're not going to defeat Jesus. They're just asking, don't send us out of the country. In fact, send us into these swine. If you put notes in your Bible, you might note this. Jesus granted the request of the demons. Did you ever think about that? He did. I don't know what to make of it, except that he did it. He actually granted their request. And he sent them into the swine. Verse 11. Now, there were a great 
herd of pigs or swine feeding there on the hillside. They begged him and said, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned. So you want to picture 2,000 swine rushing as fast as they can off a cliff into the sea. That's a pretty dramatic picture, right? It's not one or two pigs, that's 2,000. Think what that looked like when they were drowning in the sea. Think what that looked like when they were, their carcasses were floating in the sea. It was a terrifying sight to see. I mean, just as Jesus had, in a sense, terrified those disciples earlier when he calmed the sea, now he, he's able to send these demons. This man has these demons, and they go into these swine, and now the swine run into the sea. It's got to be terrifying. But don't lose sight of this. If you write in your Bible, write this in your Bible. Don't lose sight of this. Whatever sin enters, sin destroys. Whatever sin enters, it destroys. Sin is about death and destruction, and you can play with it. You think you can control it. You think you can manage it. But ultimately, this is an amazing picture in the Bible of whatever sin goes into, it kills. Sin is all about death. And so these pigs were killed. Now, the herdsmen fled and told the city and the country, and the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, this man who'd been crazy and nuts, and nothing could bind him, and they couldn't figure out how to take care of him. And all of a sudden, they come back out after the story of the pigs. They all come out to see the story of the pigs. And here's this man that, for who knows how long, has been a threat to himself and a threat to the society. And they've tried to bind him with chains and with leather ropes and everything else, and nothing works. And all of a sudden, they look at him here, and they see him in verse 15, and he's clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. That's what Jesus does for us. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard we try to fix ourselves, how many self-help books you read, how many gurus you go to, there ain't nothing going to fix the problem in your heart and my heart, which is sin, except Jesus. And that's why we took communion today. That's the only hope we have. It's the only hope of the world. Nothing else will work. Not that people don't try everything else. But the only thing that puts you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and in your right mind with the mind of Christ is Jesus himself. And so he was clothed and in his right mind. And what happened when they saw that? Did they rejoice? Were they happy? Were they excited? No. Again, they were afraid, just like the disciples were earlier. And they were afraid that this had happened. They saw the swine that had been destroyed. And simply, those had seen it, described it to them, and what had happened with the de- demon-possessed man and the pigs. In verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And Jesus did. So, <laughs> the demons asked Jesus to send them into the swine, and he does what they ask. The crowd asked Jesus to leave the country, and he does what they ask. Interesting. Both times. Now, why do they want him to leave the country? They don't understand what's going on. They're fearful of all of this that's happening. Obviously, it's overwhelming to them. And don't forget, I think Satan still had a dominion in that place, without a doubt. They said, just get out of here. And so he gets in the boat to leave. As he was getting in the boat, verse 18 The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Now, figure this, all right? 
Here's this man. He's not able to control these demons. They're controlling him. He doesn't want to cut himself and hurt himself and scare people and, and be a threat to himself and others and not be in his right mind. He doesn't want that. All of a sudden, he encounters Jesus, and all of that is gone. All of that. When you meet Christ and you confess your sin, all of your, every, it's, the battle has been won. You don't have to fear death anymore. You don't have to fear sin anymore. It's all been taken away. Doesn't matter. You try to wear the right clothes and say the right things and do the right things, and none of it's going to matter. In your heart of hearts, you know none of it matters. But when you meet Jesus and you confess your sin and you call him Lord, he puts a new heart in you, and he does for you that which you can't do. And his mercy is new on you every morning. As we've said so many times from this pulpit, the scripture says he's gone to prepare a place for you and he will come again and receive you that where he is, you will be also. And you have this amazing inheritance with him and he's promised never leave you or forsake you, not for one millisecond now or through all eternity, that his grace is all sufficient for whatever problem you might have, that he loves you more than you could ever imagine being loved. All of those things he's given to you. Just like this man had received so much and done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. This man who was full of demons, he brought nothing to that except his sin and the demons. We bring nothing to Jesus. As my pastor Lenexa said, the kingdom of God is not merit-based, it's mercy-based. It's not what we bring. We bring nothing. We have nothing to get into the kingdom. It's all his mercy. And so this man is overwhelmed by the mercy of Jesus, that he's clothed and in his right mind, he's able to speak and talk and be normal. So when, when, the, when the crowd says, please leave us, and Jesus gets in the boat, the man does the natural thing, right? Wouldn't we all do this? He gets in the boat to go with Jesus. Before Jesus came, I was a wreck. If Jesus leaves, what will happen to me? So he gets in the boat. Jesus granted the request of the demons to be thrown into the pigs. Jesus agreed to the request of the crowd to leave the country. But the one time that Jesus denies the request in this whole story is to who? To the one who's just been converted. As he was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged, pleaded with Jesus that I might go with you. Have you ever begged and pleaded with Jesus for something that you really wanted and you thought was important and you thought was the right thing and this has to happen? I have, you have, we all have. Don't lose sight of this. Scripture says he begged and he pleaded with Jesus. Well, Jesus just granted the request of the demons. He just granted the request of the crowd. Certainly, right? He's gonna say to this guy, all right, if you wanna come on, Come on. But that's not what happens. In a very surprising twist, the one person Jesus doesn't grant a request to is this man. Verse 19. It's not real subtle. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. Jesus didn't permit him. Jesus had another plan for this man. Oh, just park there for a minute. When Jesus doesn't answer the prayer that you pray, when he doesn't give you what you want, when he doesn't make your life work out the way you want it to work out, when he doesn't do those things, 
It's because he's got a better plan for you. Folks, just highlight that and look at that. He did not permit him to go. Why? Because he was being rude or mean? No, because he had a better plan for him. And the older we get, the more we realize there's truth in that. Because the older we get, the more we look back across our life and we see where he was at work in us all the time. But sometimes at that point when he doesn't permit us to do what we want to do, sometimes at that point when he doesn't take away the disease, he doesn't spare the life of a loved one, he doesn't take the job, he doesn't give us the job we thought we'd like to have, he doesn't allow us to move to the place we would like to move, he doesn't change the things we'd like to change. We can become bitter and cantankerous and think, well, he's not listening to me, he's not hearing me. He hears you, he listens. And if he doesn't allow it, it's because there's something better for you and for the kingdom He's got for you. And certainly, we see that here. He didn't permit him. And so in verse 20, he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Where was it that Jesus was so eager, anxious, or willing, I should say, to just get back in the boat and leave and go across? Because he knew right he knew he was going to leave that man there as a 24-hour, seven-day a witness to what he had done. He could go back across the Sea of Galilee because this one that everybody knew had been demon-possessed, everybody knew had been a total basket case, everybody knew had been helpless, was now clothed in his right mind. And Jesus' testimony was going to be to the whole cities of those Decapolis over there, all of those pagan cities, because this man had encountered Jesus, and he was different. Let me tell you something, friends. One of the greatest things being a follower of Jesus gives to us is purpose in life. I know there are times, especially when we're younger, we think our purpose in life is to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, maybe number one or two, who knows. And I know there are times in our lives we think our purpose in life is just to find the right job or make a certain amount of money or just purchase a certain kind of house or have kids or have grandkids. We think all that. But listen to me. There comes a time in everybody's life when you realize there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than going to work. There's got to be more to life than eating meals and looking for a few days vacation and sleeping at night. There's got to be meaning to this. And what, what, what happens to us when we follow Christ is our life has eternal, significant meaning. You have purpose. You're not purposeless. Each of us, listen to me, each of us, if we are called and, and chosen to be his children, each of us play a role in God's sovereign plan for the universe. History is going somewhere. Amen. We live in a world of evolution and just stuff spinning and nobody knows, you know, it's just going to evolve to whatever. That's just, the scripture makes it clear. There is a point in time that God has selected when he's going to return and judge this earth and head up his kingdom. There is a point in history to which everything is headed. And you and I, no matter how insignificant we may think our life is, if we are his children and he has redeemed us, we play a role in that. You have a purpose in that. That's far more important than any role you'd play in your job. That's eternal. And here he gave this once demon-possessed man something wonderful. He gave him a purpose. You go back and you do this. You got a reason to exist. You got a purpose in life. 
And in Matthew's gospel, chapter four, it says that there were many crowds that followed Jesus. I don't have time to go there now. You can read it for yourself. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter four, there were many crowds that followed Jesus. It says, including those from the Decapolis. (laughs) This man was so faithful in his testimony that people left the Decapolis, went around the Sea of Galilee and followed Jesus. Listen, don't let the seemingly refusal of a request that you have to the Lord, don't let that make you grow bitter or cantankerous or think, shall we say it, somehow or another Christianity just doesn't work, as some have said, because it doesn't do for me what I want it to do, as some have said. That's exactly what this demon-possessed man could have said. Well, this didn't work for me. He didn't let me go where I wanted to go. He made me stay here. He had a plan for him. And there's no joy like that joy of knowing your life has purpose. People, I'm... Why do you think so many wealthy people commit suicide? So many wealthy people ruin their lives on drugs and alcohol. Because wealth and power do not bring purpose. In fact... Sometimes when you get wealth and power, you realize how absolutely purposeless it all is. And what Jesus offers to us is not just obviously forgiveness of sin and life eternal and life everlasting, be able to make much of him and enjoy him forever, but he goes beyond that. He gives us a purpose. He says to us what? Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants us to yoke up with him and work alongside him. Jesus tells this demon-possessed man who's now fine, no, I'm not going to permit you to come and be with me right now. You go back. You have a job to do. Go do your job. And he found joy in that job. And guess what? In a millisecond, in a millisecond, in, in, in a vapor, in a wisp, he was dead and now in heaven and has been with Jesus for all eternity. Never to be separated from him again. So when you don't, get the answer to the prayer that you're asking. It's because in every situation, dear saint, God's got something better, something different, something more fulfilling, something with more purpose and meaning than you could ever think or imagine. Go back to where you came from and tell people what you've experienced. And he found joy and purpose and meaning in that and did it in such a way that the crowd's at one time told Jesus to leave, they now went to find 